Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. Well, at the time of this recording of this interview, we are reporting, of course, that uh, the presidential election is yet to be determined. Uh, we're doing this on Wednesday, but it will air on Thursday and through the weekend. But the news that's breaking, of course, is that um, uh, right now they've called Michigan. Uh, the, actually, the Trump campaign has called for the halting of counting in Michigan. Uh, in Wisconsin, the Trump campaign has called for a recount because the narrow uh, margin there of victory for Joe Biden. And there are 400,000 ballots yet to count in Arizona. And Nevada is very close. So what do we have here? We have an undecided presidential election. And of course, uh, that would be fitting for 2020 as we have come down to the wire. This is a time for us to pray as a country. This is a time for us to pray as Christians to be in a continuance of prayer. Well, later in this program, we're going to be talking to Dave Barton on the other side, and he's going to be talking about uh, the 1619 Project. We're going to be giving you an announcement about the D-Day Prayer Project, which, of course, is adding FDR's D-Day Prayer at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C., and you don't want to miss that. But with us on the phone is Bill Fetter. We're going to be talking about Bill's new book on socialism and what have we seen this year with the violence exploding on the streets of America, with rioting and protest all across the land in, in cities across America, including here in Ohio, in Cleveland, Columbus, and Cincinnati. Uh, we have seen destruction of uh, property in our inner cities, and we have seen rioting and looting. Uh, Columbus is still boarded up. Uh, that's the home of our state capital. And unfortunately, one of the uh, men who have been bringing people to account uh, Ron O'Brien, he's the county prosecutor, a Republican who's served for 24 years. Uh, he lost his race. And so in a blue wave in Franklin County, uh, now it's anybody's bet as to what uh, is going to happen with the 22 people that have been indicted on uh, crimes of uh, destruction and personal uh, you know, property there in Columbus. So uh, it remains to be seen. We've got a real problem where our state government is seated in Columbus which has been a scene of anarchy earlier this summer. And uh, thankfully, there was no riots this week or any protests that got out of hand. But uh, we have seen this time and again across the country. And uh, these folks claim to be socialists, whether it's Black Lives Matter, a radical socialist group, or Antifa, uh, which is a militant group. And uh, people are beginning to see and become alarmed by what they see in a absolute anarchy in our streets. Here to talk about his new book is our good friend Bill Fetter of the American Minute. Uh, Bill, welcome to the program. Chris, great to be with you. Well, thank you, Bill. Uh, yeah, this book that you've written on socialism is really taking off. Tell us about the premise of the book. Right. So I go back to Plato, and he talks about democracy being the most charming form of government, and their chief characteristic of a democracy is tolerance. Everyone tolerates each other. Then they tolerate people that are a little bit off. Then they tolerate people that are a lot off. Till finally they're tolerating crooks and crime and fraud and broad daylight looting, and nobody does anything about it. And it begins to turn into chaos, and then they begin to say, can't someone come along and fix this mess. That's when some governor comes along and says, I can fix it. I just need some emergency powers. 
And this person, at first, they're all smiles, but then they begin to uh, go after anybody that resists them till finally they stand in the chariot of state holding the reins of power and they're revealed as the tyrant. So democracy without morals and virtue ends in chaos out of which a tyrant usurps power. And this model has been seen over and over again. And so we can even look at in the Bible. Uh, Israel was a republic when they first came out of Egypt. Remember before King Saul, they, they didn't have a king, except for one brief period. Gideon had an illegitimate son named Abimelech, and he goes to the town of Shechem, and he does race politics, identity politics. And he says, why should the sons of Gideon reign over you? I'm your flesh and your bone. And so his brethren went to the people and says, look, he is our brother. And so instead of, you know, uh, uniting together to fight some invading army, Abimelech sowed discord within Israel. And he goes to the temple of Balbarith and takes 70 pieces of silver to hire vain and worthless persons, rioters, like Antipha-type people, to go and commit violence and murder all his half-brothers of other sons of Gideon. And then Abimelech makes himself king, rules for three years, until somebody throws a millstone off the wall, hits him on the head. But it was this idea that the same way in Athens, when there is chaos, you have a, a tyrant usurp power, and Abimelech's model was, let's create chaos and then seize power. And uh, then we can... Fast forward to uh, Athens. A few, you know, years later, what happened was uh, uh, Philip of Macedon. He was the father of Alexander the Great, and uh, he uh, went and captured the gold mines of Amphipolis and took gold and bribed some citizens of Athens to betray their own city. And they, when the citizens of Athens would get together and say, we need to defend our city. These paid traders would stand up and say, wait a second, uh, let's not get carried away. I hear um, Philip's not such a bad guy uh, that he's not lib- conquering cities. He's liberating them. And, and these people who are paid traders would gather around themselves, useful idiots, people that actually believe their lies. And it's so confused Athens that when Philip marched up to the walls, they could not mount a unified defense, and someone throws open the doors, and Philip comes in and takes over. And so it's this idea that if someone on the outside, instead of just taking money from the temple of Balbarith to hire vain and worthless persons, uh, Philip of Macedon took gold and found some vain and worthless persons on the inside of Athens that he could buy, and create this disunity, this discord in Athens, so they couldn't mount a defense. So uh, we begin to see a pattern here. And um, anyway, uh, we can uh, fast forward to uh, Italy in the 1500s, and it was a bunch of city-states, Venice, Genoa, Naples, Florence, and they all had armies and fought. And Machiavelli thought if one prince could control all of Italy, it would stop the infighting. So he writes a book called The Prince, where he advocates the ends justifies the means. The end of one prince controlling all of Italy is such a good end that any means necessary to get there is justified. Lie, cheat, steal. So if a prince conquers a city, the people of the city would hate him. But if the prince pays criminals ahead of time, 
vain and worthless persons, looters, traitors, to uh, cause violence in the city, smash windows and set things on fire. The people would cry out for help, and the prince will come in and get rid of the very people he bribed. Nobody would know the better for it, and everyone would praise the prince as a hero. So it's good marketing. You create the need and fill it. You go around the back of the house, set it on fire, and then you go around the front of the house and sell them a fire extinguisher. And they'll pay anything for it and even thank you for being there. So this is where you intentionally want to create discord. You intentionally want to create chaos. And then when the people panic, you can usurp power. So this is called Machiavellianism, where you create or capitalize on a crisis to consolidate control. And you have heard it more recently worded, you never want a serious crisis to go to waste. It's an opportunity to do those things that you think you could not do before. Uh, Rahm Emanuel's quote, and of course, Hillary Clinton copied him. She said, the chief of staff for President Obama uh, said, you know, never waste a good crisis. So you and I see a crisis and our response is how can we help people through it? They see a crisis and their response is how can we usurp power? Well, that's so right. And your book you talks have, about how, how the deep state capitalizes on crisis to consolidate control. When we look at the crisis that has happened in America across the country, obviously with the George Floyd video was the spark that uh, these protests seemingly out of nowhere broke out in cities across America. But there are those who argue, even in the African-American community. I talked to a pastor friend of mine uh, John Coates in Columbus, and he said this so-called peaceful protest in Columbus was well-organized ahead of time, and it was meant to be violent. He said, I went down there and saw it myself because I learned about it on the news, and don't you think a, an elected official of the NAACP of Ohio would have known about a uh, gathering for community policing discussion? No. He said this uh, riot that broke out on May 28th, a few days after the George Floyd video that happened in uh, Minnesota, uh, translates down to Columbus, Ohio. And uh, basically, he said, I saw pallets with bricks on them. I saw boards with nails. I saw frozen water bottles. He said, this wasn't spontaneous. He said, this was by design. And of course, downtown Columbus, Ohio, uh, uh, Bill is still all boarded up, and I'm talking about the pristine buildings, uh, and you couldn't even buy a sandwich. They called it a food desert for a while. We're not talking about a ghetto area, but it became a ghetto area after that uh, literally several thousand protesters started breaking out every window, rushing into buildings. Uh, into condominium units, scaring the people. They actually had to dispatch SWAT teams. We had the county prosecutor on our program talking about the very serious programs, uh, uh, I'm sorry, serious crimes that were committed. Uh, people's uh, housing units, the protester says, we're going to set it on fire with you in it. This is the kind of alarming anarchism that took place in the streets right here in Ohio earlier this summer. And one has to ask, if this is the basis of the Marxist socialist uh, movement, where is this going if they use violence to as an end to means to get what they want? Right. Whatever they'll do to get in power, they'll be willing to do to stay in power. And um, so uh, I go through the French Revolution in the book and how they had all this crises and uh, liberté, equalité, fraternité. Fraternité was their word for socialism, the fraternity, the group, the collective. And equality can be understood two ways. In America, it was equal treatment before the law. In France, it was everyone having an equal amount of stuff. 
And if the fraternity, the state, thinks you have too much stuff, it can use the power of the state to take away your stuff and kill you. Well, and they chopped off 40,000 heads in Paris and so forth. Um, but let's fast forward. You have um, Hitler. He's, in the 1920s, Germany was a republic, a representative government. Uh, it was called the Weimar Republic. And Hitler started a political party called the National Socialist Workers' Party. That's what Nazi stands for, National Socialist Workers' Party. And he had a violent branch to it. It was sort of a BLM Antifa type branch. It was called the Brown Shirts. And they were nicknamed stormtroopers because they would storm into the meetings of Hitler's opponents and shout down the speakers, disrupt the meeting. The uh, Brown we've Shirts seen, would we've seen that. Arms. We've seen that over the last half decade in colleges and universities where conservative speakers and Christian speakers come to speak at the universities and they storm these meetings and shout at them and they shut them down and they're not even able to continue with their uh, program. We're seeing this today, Bill. Right. And so then these brown shirts would lock arms and block access to buildings and block streets. Could you imagine people locking arms and blocking streets? And then the brown shirts went into the cities and smashed windows, looted and set on fire over 7,000 Jewish stores on the night of broken glass, crystal knocked. And then their capital got set on fire. And in the confusion, Hitler seizes power and rounds up all of his political enemies and has them shot without a trial. And when the dust settles, Germany has transitioned from the people ruling themselves bottom up to Hitler ruling top down. And so the same idea of Machiavelli creating a crisis. Uh, Abimelech hiring vain and worthless persons to create division and discord. Uh, you know, Philip of Macedon hiring people to, to create discord inside of Athens. And so this model is seen over and over again. But now after World War II, uh, Germany has to give up its former territories. And so does Britain. And so does France. And so they form brand new countries, uh, Czechoslovakia, Hungary, Poland, Romania, these brand new countries have brand new leaders, and they're trying to climb out of the post-war you know, problems. And then the Soviet Union decides it doesn't just want communism running the Soviet Union. Of course, the Soviet Union stands for what? Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. That's what USSR stands for, Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. So the USSR sends KGB agents into these brand new countries, and they identify groups with grievances whether it's racial or ethnic Bosnian Serbs, Croats, whether it's economic, whether it's religious, they really didn't care. Their goal was to identify groups and break them into victims and oppressors, haves and have-nots. And then they would organize protests that they would escalate into riots. And then they would smash buildings, set things on fire. And then they would co-opt the media with bribes and threats to blame the leader of the country for all the problems. They would even release false polling data ahead of the election to show the popular leader as unpopular so that when they did their voter fraud and rigged election, nobody would argue with it. And then they had found weak links in the military. And when the country got panicky enough, they had someone in the military go in and uh, replace the leader and they would install a Soviet puppet. And the dust would settle, the violence would stop temporarily, and then they realized they just gave up 
their free country, and now they're ruled under the thumb by a dictatorship from the Soviet Union. We're talking with um, Bill Fetter. He is the author of Socialism, the real story from Plato to the present, how the deep state capitalizes on crisis to consolidate control. And uh, you can actually obtain the book and uh, follow Bill and all of his writings at AmericanMinute.com. That's AmericanMinute.com. Bill, as you're talking about these points in history, about socialism, about communism, and of course we know that it's left in its wake throughout history, a trail of uh, atrocity and, of course, a genocide. And so, the, you know, these young people that are glomming on to socialism and uh, a sense of fairness and uh, social justice right now, even in Christian churches, I might say. In fact, we've had calls into our office from young pastors who are concerned about the church movements that they're in, glomming on to these social justice movements in their church, and they're uh, distributing uh, uh, basically uh, black liberation theology, which is an anathema to the Christian orthodoxy, materials and booklets. This is happening right here, folks, in Northeast Ohio. This is happening in uh, Akron and Cleveland in uh, in Ohio. And uh, folks, that our young people have been uh, indoctrinated uh, by these things. And so this book is really blowing the lid on it. And Bill, what you're saying, it sounds like today's history. We're talking about voter fraud taking place. Uh, there's going to be legal battles for this presidential election. Uh, you know, we're seeing where the media and and tech giants and uh, the radical uh, left is against the president and against the Christian right. And uh, we're seeing this happen and play out right now in front of our very eyes. And of course, uh, for the first time, all police unions have supported President Trump for re-election uh, because they're the ones on the front lines of this anarchy, and uh, the prosecutors in these liberal cities won't even bring these people to justice who are committing terrible crimes. And so the uh, law enforcement, men and women in blue, are the ones who are actually facing the brunt and are between us and absolute anarchy and terror. Folks, I'm going to tell you, there's people not waking up to what's happening in this country. This book on socialism... Bill, that you have written is really taking off, and you've taken your uh, his, history uh, experience and you've put it into this book, and it is really one for the times. Again, the book is Socialism, the Real History from Plato to the Present, How the Deep State Capitalizes on Crisis to Consolidate and Control. Uh, Bill, just some other thoughts here about the book as you were talking, uh, coming out of the different uh, uh, time periods of Nazis and, of course, uh, the USSR and communism, and we've even seen in Venezuela and other places, everywhere socialism reigns, it brings despair and uh, it brings tyranny to people, and, and it's a terrible situation. Right. Uh, so, so just to um, address, uh, people say, well, the church, isn't it socialist? They all, you know, sold their property and they brought the money to the feet of who? Uh, the apostles. Oh, okay. So they voluntarily sold their property and they voluntarily brought their money to the church. And when the church helps people, it wants the people to get out of their rut so they can help the next person along. They did not have their land forcibly taken away and they were forced to put their money at the feet of Pilate. So people want to say, oh, the, the early church. Yeah, it was voluntary and it was through the church. It was not forcibly and it was not through the government. They didn't sell their property, bring the money to the feet of Pilate. Uh, it was to the feet of the apostles. It's not the government. But God gives commands to five groups, individuals, families, employer-employees, church, and government. 
there are commands for individuals to help take care of the poor. Uh, there's no command for the family to take care of the stranger, the poor. The commands for the family, your husbands love your wives, children submit to your parents. The commands for the employer, employees that do an honest day's work and don't hold back the wages. Uh, there are commands for the church to take care of the poor, and historically the church has and started orphanages and hospitals and medical clinics. There's no command for the government to take care of the poor. The command of the government's the shortest. Protect the innocent, punish the guilty. There's no command for the government to be involved in health care or education or anything. Just protect the innocent and punish the guilty. What's happened is the government has been usurping the church's role. And, and so, yeah, if you want to have the people being taken care of, have them be taken care of through the church, because then they develop a relationship, they get to hear the gospel and so forth, not through the government. Why? Because when people uh, are, and any program administered by the government is administered by people who want to keep their jobs. And so their temptation is to administer it in a discretionary way where they funnel benefits to those who can vote them back in office and they want to take away benefits and tax and regulate those that challenge and want to reduce the size of government. And plus, whoever is the recipient, uh, after a while of receiving free stuff, they end up having a low self-esteem and they channel that negative feeling toward the, the group that's making them feel negative. In other words, the very government that's giving them money, they end up hating. Isn't that interesting? But back to the uh, World War II ends, and then we have the, the KGB going into countries, and then Truman does nothing. Eisenhower is the next president, and he's faced with Britain. Um, it, Britain had no oil. In 1908, Britain formed the Anglo-Iranian Oil Company. Uh, you know it better as BP. British Petroleum is really the Anglo-Iranian Oil Company. And so... Um, after World War II, Iran decides to side with the Soviet Union and nationalize their oil. And so Britain goes to Eisenhower saying, help. So Eisenhower approves the first CIA operation to overthrow a country's leader. It's called Operation Ajax. And the CIA operative on the ground is Kermit Roosevelt Jr., the grandson of Teddy Roosevelt. And what does he do? The same thing. He recruits uh, gangsters and mobsters. They organize riots and, the, and they you know, attack mosques and they co-opt the media to blame the leader of Iran, Mossadegh, and when the country gets panicky enough, they do a coup and install the Shah. And this is called the Cold War, and it was happening with the KGB and the CIA all around the world. The only difference this time around is it's happening on American soil. What is happening with the intentional stirring up and the rioting and the crises? It has all the fingerprints of being an orchestrated event. And we already know there's deep state people in the CIA and the Department of Justice that do not like the president. They've been trying for four years to get rid of them. Uh, the question is, have they been using their positions to help this thing along? Um, that's the, the, the question. But the, the well, book well, that right, I put right, together... We're running out of time, Bill. That, that's a great question and one in which, Christians, we need to be praying. And right now, as this presidential election is still uh, undecided and uh, we're praying for God's direction for our country, again, the book is Socialism. AmericanMinute.com is the website. American, AmericanMinute.com. Uh, is where you can get socialism, the real story, uh, the real history from Plato to the present, how the deep state capitalized on crisis to consolidate control. Bill Fetter, thank you so much. Bill, we're going to have you back on and talk about the great news of the D-Day Prayer Project. And, uh, of course, we're, we're rejoicing. We're going to be talking with that with uh, uh, Dave Barton. But, uh, Bill, I'm going to have you back on for a special segment to talk about that. God bless you, my friend. Bless you. Thank you. Again, the, the website is AmericanMinute.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with David Barton.
Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe. On D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. I'm Johnette Cruz, and I'm a busy mom. Then a friend told me about TrustBlueReview.com, a new website powered by the Christian Blue Network. She uses it to find trusted Christian-owned businesses. I checked it out, read the helpful reviews, and found a great family dentist. Now I use TrustBlueReview for all my family's needs. For peace of mind, do what I did. Visit TrustBlueReview.com or download their free mobile app from your app store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue Review. Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, President of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this special edition of News in Focus as we're going to feature and uh, showcase our veterans this uh, program as Veterans Day is approaching. And of course, we have momentous news to share with you. And many of you that have been listening to this program for some time and been following the work of the Ohio Christian Alliance and Christian Alliance of America know that we've been working on the D-Day Prayer Project. That's an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. Well, we started back in June of 2011 when legislation was introduced by Congressman Bill Johnson, and uh, it made its way through Congress. It did have broad bipartisan support in the, in the U.S. House of Representatives, and it passed in uh, 2012, but time ran out for it to move through the Senate, and of course we had an election. Mr. Obama was uh, elected to a second term, and it was unknown what the prospects were of the D-Day prayer actually making it through Congress, because Mr. Obama's administration actually came in and opposed the addition of the prayer in the early going in uh, committee hearings over there in the House uh, back then in 2013, uh, back in 2012, and so we did not know what was going to happen. Then Senator Rob Portman came forward and said, Chris, I'd like to introduce that for you in the U.S. Senate. I said, well, Senator, we'd be honored. And so he did, and both Congressman Johnson and Congress, excuse me, Senator Portman recommitted to 
introducing the legislation uh, in both chambers. And then on the 70th anniversary, on the eve thereof, of the 70th anniversary of the D-Day landings, Senator Portman called us that day and said, I'm going to try a unanimous consent on the U.S. Senate floor. Well, he called back and said, Chris, I have momentous news that the bill passed, and by one uh, unanimous consent, that means every U.S. senator has to agree. One objecting, one card-carrying member of the ACLU objecting, and it would have to go back through committee. Well, nobody objecting. It went through by unanimous consent on the 70th anniversary of the D-Day landings, and then it was concurred by the uh, U.S. House of Representatives and signed by President Obama quietly on June 30th of 2014. Well, what happens then? We started working with the Park Service and the uh, Friends of the World War II Memorial. They are kind of the curators of the memorial. Uh, They help uh, uh, organize events there. They actually uh, work on the upkeep of the memorial and uh, showcasing it. And they've been around since 2007, about three years after the monument was dedicated. Well, they took us on a site location and a tour, and we talked about where the prayer might be at. And we're talking about 515 words that the president prayed on the morning of the D-Day landings, and he prayed with uh, the nation and announcing that the liberation of Europe was underway. Well, they took us around to various spots, and then they took us through the Atlantic Arch. And those of you that have visited the World War II Memorial, you'll know. Well, I thought, well, here, here we go. They're going to put us somewhere in the back part of the memorial. Well, they go to this area called the Circle Remembrance. They said this is part of the World War II Memorial. It is slated for upgrade and development, and it's actually part of the memorial. And we would like to place the prayer here in a grand fashion. Well... We thought that that would be great. It would be great for opportunity for people to come and school groups and, uh, you know, tour groups to come and to actually read the prayer aloud. So we saw that they really were embracing this project. Well, then the challenging news came because the, the legislation, when it passed, it stipulated that it shall not be paid for by tax dollars, but by private donations. And maybe you need to know that most of the monuments in Washington were not paid for by tax dollars. They were, uh, private funds were raised for the Washington Monument, and a lot of monuments in Washington were paid for by private donations, not by tax dollars. Now, of course, there's tax dollars that are expended for upkeep and repair of the monuments, but the original uh, cost of most of the monuments were uh, private donations. So it is with the addition of this prayer. Well, then they gave us the figure of 2 to $3 million. Well, that's a lot. We thought originally that the prayer plaque would have been maybe two, dollars $300,000, maybe $400,000. When they talk, start talking about two to $3 million, we think, Lord, how are we going to do that? Well, we thought well, partnering with the friends, we'd be able to get this done. And all things are possible with God, right? Well, we went through six years and from 2014, and time was running out because then it was announced to us that this legislation would expire in uh, June of 2021. And if the prayer wasn't added, we'd have to go through Congress again. Well, now we're really sweating it out. Well, a lot of things transpired, and we showcased the 75th anniversary. Many of you followed us on that, and we're really praying. Well... I just uh, really came to the end of myself. I said, Lord, I don't know how to do this. I really don't. And the Lord just spoke to me and said, I will do it. Well, folks, when God speaks to you, we have a moment that we can believe him and embrace that. And so that's what he told me. Well, that was about a year ago. Well, I got a call from U.S. Senator Rob Portman a couple weeks ago, and he said, Chris, I want to tell you something. 
There's a group that came forward with a $2 million grant for the project. They want to see it added there, too. So that was wonderful news. And, of course, we just we really just began to weep because we thought about all those veterans that we had promised that we were going to get that prayer added. And they said to me, young man, get it done. Well, <laughs> we started this nine years ago. I was a little younger then than I am now. So the dedication date will be June of uh, 2022 and we'll be working with the friends and the park service and the fine arts commission and the u.s capital planning commission for the final design and uh, development and construction phase and of course the dedication in that june and we'll be telling you all about that and hopefully you can come down to washington with us and celebrate the addition of that prayer in a grand way and of course we're hoping that some of our veterans will still be with us well on the phone with us now is david barton of the wall builders and david has done a lot of work uh, on historical uh, teaching in our country of course with wall builders over the years we've always looked to him for many of us who are homeschoolers we've taught our kids all about american history using wall builders material but david came and was our speaker last fall and little did he know or i know that we were both working on some things in washington and god was moving because there had been a movement to where there was no more additions of any prayer scripture verse or reference to god anywhere in washington but something happened with this, and so one one didn't know what the other was doing, but God knew, and uh, so we're going to talk about that. David, welcome to the program. Hey, Chris, good to be with you. Well, thank you for all you do. In fact, I have uh, my kids now are homeschooling, especially with all the things that are going on in the schools now. I mean, they were homeschooled. And they kind of said, oh, I'm not going to homeschool. <laughs> well, guess what's happening? They're homeschooling, and they're going to be using the wall builder's material for American history. So thank you for what you do. Oh, our pleasure. We're happy to share that with America. We feel like it's America's history, and every American should know it. So we're, we're thrilled that several generations now have been able to inculcate good history in, into the kids. It's terrific. Absolutely. And so you so educated me and my wife when we were raising our eight kids. I mean, this goes back 20 years ago. And uh, for the first time, we were learning about wonderful things of our American history and our American heritage. And we were learning about it through your teaching and lecture series and your materials. And so you know, it's almost like a light went on. And we think, wow, I never knew these things before. And the wonderful history of our country. And yet, uh, with all this going on, there's still a battle for American history. Let's talk about that. Yeah, there is a huge battle going on now. We're very blessed to to own uh, about 120,000 items from before 1812. And then even yesterday, we acquired another 1,000 items out of the Pilgrim era. Um, and so we have so many originals. And the problem with history today is the originals contradict the, the modern narrative. The modern narrative oftentimes is based on what people wish or want or agendas rather than truth. And we think the truth should be the basis of what you do in history. And you tell the good, the bad, the ugly, you cover all of it. You don't hide stuff and you don't twist stuff. And so the 1619 Project is a great example of some folks who have taken an agenda for history. They have presented history to fit their agenda. And the problem is the narrative they have is not historically accurate. In the 1619 Project, headed largely by New York Times, even the, the more liberal professors who helped put that together have come out renouncing and said, no, that's historically false. Where you're headed is not what history shows. You have, you have an agenda here that's overriding truth and history. 
The problem is that the 1619 curriculum is now, now being taught in all 50 states. Schools in all 50 states, um, various schools have that curriculum. And so it's a really bad deal. Um, it's, it's sad that when you see so many of the statues torn down over the last five months, they have 1619 painted on them. And, and that's typical of 1619. They, they make you hate America. And they take the premise that racism is the worst problem we've ever had in America. And racism came about because of our constitutional system. And so if you want to get rid of racism, you have to get rid of the constitutional system. So initially we were told that, well, they're tearing down statues because they're, they're racist. They're, they're Confederate statues. Well, then why did you tear down President Ulysses S. Grant, who's the union leader who defeated the Confederacy? And why have you now torn down three statues of Abraham Lincoln? Why did you tear down the statue of Frederick Douglass, who's the greatest black civil rights leader in the 1800s? And why have you torn down so many World War I memorials, World War II memorials, 9-11 memorials? And why are you going after statues of Jesus all across the United States? That's right. And, and, and so we find out the narrative is not, not accurate. It's, it's an agenda-driven kind of thing, and that should never be the case with history. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe. On D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue we're talking with Dave Barton of the Wall Builders, and um, you know, David, as we talk about uh, this, is the 400th anniversary of the Pilgrims' Landing in 1620, and our good friend Paul Jaley up there in Plymouth Rock, Massachusetts, and he's director of the Plymouth Rock Foundation. He was our speaker this year, and of course, his congregation conducts uh, living tours of Plymouth and uh, of the Pilgrims. He studied them for 40 years now, and he studied them from the original context of the writings of William Bradford and others, and uh, not what the rewrite of the Pilgrim's history is. And I think the 1619 Project, that's the tell is in that, that they wanted to preempt the 400th anniversary of the Pilgrim's Landing. You can't pin on the uh, Pilgrims that they came for exploitation or slavery or trade or anything like that. They came to actually plant a church and for religious freedom. The Pilgrim story is one in which Americans have always gathered around and celebrated. And of course, with Thanksgiving is one in which we look back to the Pilgrims making friends with the natives uh, that they came in contact with in a peace treaty that lasted for over 50 years. Um, 
and the ongoing story of the Pilgrims. My wife and I have had the privilege of going up there the last handful of years and visiting Plymouth and uh, Boston and walking Freedom Trail and the whole region and talking to the folks. And it's a wonderful story. We want to get more people up there to celebrate, uh, really, the 400th anniversary. It looks as if they're going to have to make it for uh, 2021, which will be the first Thanksgiving, 400th anniversary of the first uh, Thanksgiving. So Paul Jaley, of course, COVID-19 kind of put a quell on all the 400th uh, anniversary celebrations, but they're going to do it all next year. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, we're going to be part of that. We uh, we had planned a big event for this year on the 400th anniversary. Um, it looked like about 500,000 were going to attend, and then the local zoner said, well, let's make it 30,000. We can't handle 500,000. And then that got killed with the COVID stuff. So our plan is to have that big event again next year, or not again, but have it next year around that, that Thanksgiving and actually uh, on the lot where the actual Thanksgiving occurred, uh, lot number one in Plymouth, which, by the way, lot number one is also where they stored the, uh, the the Mayflower Compact. It's also where they signed the treaty with the Wampanoag Indians, the longest-lasting treaty in American history between Anglos, Native Americans, was there with the Pilgrims. And it's so, so counter to the narrative. And again, the 1619 narrative starts with the premise. They say that America was founded to protect and preserve slavery. Now, the problem is, they say 1619, that's what happened in Virginia, which it's not even accurate there. Uh, 1610, we have documents with slaves coming through Florida by the Spanish in 1610. The slaves who arrived in Virginia in 1619 became indentured servants and all received land from the state. So they, they, did, they were slaves on a slave ship that was captured by the British, and then they did not remain slaves. But nonetheless, 1619 looks that. But to say that, that America was founded to protect and promote slavery, the Pilgrims is a great example. The second load of slaves that arrived in America arrived to the Pilgrims. They freed all the slaves. They imprisoned all the slave owners. They quoted specifically uh, the verse out of Exodus about man-stealing, how that was a capital offense. And they were not going to have any part of man-stealing going on or be part of that. So you, you have from the Pilgrims in their own writings, that's the start of the abolition movement. And so there never was a time in, in Massachusetts history when blacks could not vote. I mean, there's so many cool blacks that held office early years that nobody knows about today. That 1619 narrative is busted, but it really is a direct contradiction of what the, the Plymouth folks represented. And the other thing I'll point out that's really pretty cool is we're kind of returning to that knowledge today as Americans that there's a big difference between Jamestown and Plymouth, the 1619 Project, and the Pilgrims. There's actually an 1888 wall map that came out, and it is, that's about six feet by four feet, and it was used in classrooms. And it shows all the bad stuff that came out of Jamestown, all the good stuff that came out of Plymouth. Out of Jamestown, you had the socialism, and you had class warfare, and you had slavery, and et cetera. But out of the Pilgrims, you had a whole different result. You had equality. You had um, you had kindness, you had a free market system, you had respect to private properties, you had uh, good relations with natives and black Americans. It's just a whole different climate. And that's what 1619 does not, they don't even get 1619 right. I mean, that's, that's even wrong. That's the right. The whole narrative yeah. really goes after the Plymouth guys. Well, that's right. I and mean, when you think about Plymouth with 102 souls, 52 of which survived, and from that, uh, you know, yeah. starts America, really, when um, 
the British were pouring in th- thousands, hundreds and thousands into uh, Jamestown, and it was just a black hole. It just keep. Uh, it was just such a difficulty of an endeavor for them there. When yet, when this small band of faithful pilgrims, Christians, came uh, with the same spirit of the Moravian revivals, because that's what the separatists actually echo from in their spiritual roots was from the Moravians. Um, flavor of theology. And with that, they brought with them that kind of independence that really, when we think about it, it's just, it's it's an act of God. And, it, and it, it, you know, for me personally, that's where I root my spiritual founding to. And so we've always in our family rejoiced about that. Thanksgiving is actually one of our favorite holidays. You know, when we had Paul Jaley with us and uh, for our Freedom Banquet in July, we had to postpone it. It's normally a spring Freedom Banquet. We had it in July. And then I had him come and talk about Plymouth. And this was just right after the riots and the Black Lives Matter and Antifa and all that was going on. And he shared, he said, you know that during the bicentennial of the Pilgrim's Landing, uh, he talked about the speech that was given uh, by Webster, and he said that, he said, we need to eradicate the slave trade, uh, the, the African slave trade in this country. And he said, this is the great blight on this country. So even during, he said, this was even before people celebrated Christmas, you know, this uh, celebration of Plymouth and Thanksgiving around that was one of the big holidays. And yet, uh, what was the speech that night was about eradicating uh, slavery in this country. So these are bits of history, David, that we're just they're they're overlooking and they're hiding and they're they're suffocating and they're censuring. Uh, they want to start another narrative. Your thoughts? They, they do, and and part of the problem is Americans are historically illiterate about their heroes and about their history. Um, I, I was just in a, in a church this past Sunday, a very large church. Um, I'm the white guy in a black congregation, and what I did was went through all the heroes of the American Revolution that were black. And if I take Harry Hoosier, and Indiana is named the Hoosier State because the converts of this black evangelist, Harry Hoosier, nobody knows that, that Indiana is named after a black evangelist. Or if I go to SEAL Team, probably the first SEAL Team story in American history, 1777 with Jack Sisson and, and, the, uh, and what they did at the Battle of Newport, or how George Washington and Lafayette point to a black double spy, James Armistead, as being the chief reason that we needed the revolution when we did. Or if I can point to Wentworth Cheswell, a black patriot in New Hampshire, elected office in 1768, re-elected for 49 years, eight different political positions, high-ranking official. Nobody knows that. Nobody knows that John Hancock had an equality ball in 1793 as governor, celebrating the fact that all people were equal in Massachusetts, and they honored uh, blacks that night as, as a special guest. I mean, it's it's all different narrative from what we hear. So we don't know our, our heroes. And by the way, 1902 is when that occurred. 1902, Woodrow Wilson's five-volume uh, set on the history of the American people took out every single black name from American history, including Frederick Douglass. He was, uh, the, the, the academics loved him and made him president of Princeton University over that set. It, it's completely racist, and that's why people don't know their history today is we still have that academic elitism from Woodrow Wilson. But the other thing that goes with it is nobody pays attention to the fact that the first region in the entire world to ban slavery were the northern colonies. They did so in 1804. By 1804, every one of those colonies had put slavery in extinction. 1807, America becomes the entire first nation in the entire world to ban the slave trade. 1807. 
1819, America put a naval squadron off the coast of Africa to keep any other nation from going there and taking slaves. Great Britain joined us with that. Uh, we couldn't stop all slave ships, but we stopped a bunch. Then in 1865, America became the fourth nation in the world to ban slavery. Now notice, the slave trade and banning slavery, America's leader up front. But that's only been 200 years. People act today like the 5,800 years we've always known slavery was wrong. No. America is the one who helped change the world perspective on that. And so as we look at America today, there's 193 nations at the U.N. today. 94 of the U.N. nations today still have not criminalized slavery today. It's still legal. There are 40 million active slaves today in the world, 9.2 million in Africa. I help run a national group that is the most active in the world in rescuing slaves out of slavery. So we know what's going on. And here we are talking about, look how terrible America is. Look how terrible. Man, we were the leader in helping change the world into an anti-slavery position. And today, America is ranked as number two of all the nations in the world in being the most active in fighting slavery and racism. And you would never know that from the 1619 process. Mm. And most Americans actually don't know that today. And so that's a, that's a real problem. We don't know our black heroes, and we don't know our history with respect to equality and racism. And yes, America had problems, and yes, we had screwed up stuff. But we look at South Carolina and Georgia and tell that history as if it's the history of the entire United States, and it's not. The history of Massachusetts and Connecticut and Delaware, all those states are so different, and we don't tell that story. We just look at a few southern states and say this is the way America's always been, and that's just not the case. We're talking with Dave Barton of the Wall Builders, and we're talking about American history. And, of course, here in Ohio, we have the Founding American Documents curriculum. And, of course, we want to keep that intact. We passed that back in 2012, which guarantees that every Ohio student will learn through the 8th through the 12th grade, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, and the Ohio Constitution Northwest Ordinance from the 8th to the 12th grade with an end-of-course exam requirement. We're going to keep you posted on that because there are those who want to do away with the Founding American documents curriculum. President Trump announced, announced the 1776 project. Well, we've been doing it in here, here in Ohio since 2013. We want to keep it going. David, we're going to have you. You gave testimony back then. We passed it in 2012. We may need you to write another letter to help us to, to uh, keep it secure here in Ohio and keep the momentum going uh, as time goes on here. Um, just a closing thought. Uh, we want to have you back on the program because uh, we're going to work with you uh, and have you uh, help us celebrate the D-Day Prayer Project. But just a word to our veterans on this Veterans Day. Yeah, veterans, uh, Lord willing, that D-Day Prayer Project, you'll be able to see see it completed complete and finished. That is a phenomenal thing. The way that D-Day was announced to the world was through a six-and-a-half-minute prayer by the President of the United States. And I say the veterans and what they represent in America, what they've done for all of us. Man, we're so thrilled to be able to honor those veterans with that D-Day prayer. Thank you, David. God bless you for all your work, and thank you for coming on today. Our pleasure. Thanks, Chris, for all you do. God bless you. Thank you, my friend. Again, that's David Barton of The Wall Builders, and that's wallbuilders.com. That's wallbuilders.com. Wonderful resources. Get them for your home scores and for your students. If you missed any of today's program, you can hear it in its entirety at our website at ohioca.org. Happy Veterans Day and support them. God bless you all.
You have been listening to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, visit online at ohioca.org. That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is sponsored by the Ohio Christian Alliance of Akron, Ohio.